from Wakefield. It's the Nolan Car Night Show. I'm going to join Nolan as guest this week. Sean Colson to the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Nolan. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the show. And as we get closer to the Milestone 100th episode, I have yet again another amazing and awesome guest. Not only is he a legend on the court as a player, but also as a trainer slash coach around the country for players from the youth age to professionals. He's also a marvelous guy, as I had told him earlier, for giving me his time to do this. So it means a great deal. He also shares something with me is that he's also a former Rhode Island Ram before he went to the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. He is the one and only Mr. Sean Colson. Sean, how are you today? How you doing, buddy? We, we, we're, we're doing our best in these times, although I like to say crazy times, but it seems as though it's sort of dying down. But there's always something that's going on that ruffles um, some feathers, you know? Right. As, as I just said, you know, sort of crazy times to an extent in mentioning you're a trainer of several different levels of um, basketball players from the youth age to the professional level. One of your most famous clients being Deon, um, DeAndre Hunter. What's it been like for you these last two years, almost three years doing this throughout these times and now seeing as, as we're sort of near the end of it? Well, it's been a little bit tough. Um you know, just because of the times and, you know, with COVID starting, then, you know, ramping up and now obviously dying down. It's been a uh, issue as far as, you know, just gyms and things like that. Luckily, I've been blessed with that. You know, I, I've been able to kind of always have a gym throughout this process. So, you know, um, just putting in the work, man, you know. <laughs> As long as you got a gym and you got some players and you got a place to do it, you know it's it's time to put the time to put the work in. So that's what we do. Exactly. Hey, as long as you got four walls and a surface that bounces a ball, that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something cool. like that. Exactly. Yes. Um, what's one thing Sean Colson has learned? What is one thing Sean Colson has learned about himself during these times that he didn't learn beforehand? Uh, I would say just to be uh, even more. I, I'm a I'm a person that's blessed. So, you know, I've uh, had a really good life so far and come from humble beginnings, but, you know, things are, you know, been great for me. So I just always want to be thankful because so many people that's, you know, not here anymore, guys that I played against, guys that I know, uh, and obviously just everybody. You know, I obviously have a mother, I have a grandmother, I have moms, I mean, I have a just all kinds of family, wife, sure. like all of those things. So kids and, uh, you know, everybody's been impacted, but I'm just actually happy to be here, sure. to be honest, and, and and that everyone else is here. So, you know, just to learn to be very, very uh, grateful, I guess I would say. Sure. You know, your story begins growing up in, in, in Philly over in Pennsylvania. What were aspirations of, of yours that you had playing basketball? What were those aspirations as a whole for kids your age growing up in Philly? Uh, I mean, everybody dreams of like, you know, playing the NBA and things like that. So I always had that dream since I was a young kid and I uh, always felt like I was a hard worker for the most part. And, um, you know, just, you know, dangerous times, you know, for obviously where I grew up at. So you're just trying to just make it every day. And, um, you know, basketball was a way out, really like baseball. Sure. Baseball is actually my, my favorite sport. 
and basketball was second. So, you know, I just really just concentrated and played baseball and basketball like all the time. I mean, you know, when you're an athlete, a lot of times you miss out on a normal childhood. Sure. Not going for weekends over your friends or your cousins or family and things like that. But I was just so focused on basketball and baseball and like trying to really make it something you know, make something out of myself in those particular sports. So. Sure. Well, I want to ask you about that as a child in the sense of, was there is there a moment you remember? Because every kid, you know, that, that has success or has some talent knows that they have that ability different or better than others. Do you remember a moment, whether it be baseball or basketball, where you remember saying, hey, you know, I have something here that maybe I can do something with that can help me later on? Uh, I don't know if it was really a moment, because to be honest, I just – I love basketball. So I just always thought I was going to be an NBA player. I always did. I just thought that it was just going to work out for me. And so I don't really know if it was a really a moment that I was always confident. It's crazy to say that, but in my mind, I just thought that's what I wanted to do. Sure. So I was just, you know, and I had obviously a few obstacles to get there, but I always just thought that it would happen to be honest. But it's just, you know, there's a lot of hard work and I had a lot of, Good days, a lot of bad days. Obviously, sure. playing high school on a high level, playing you know college on a high level, but you still have those bad days. But I never actually didn't want to, you know, make it to the highest level. Sure. So, for for you, you know, when you were growing up, kids played every sport they could possibly do: stay outside, do whatever <laughs> they could do. Whereas nowadays, and you probably see it with the people you the kids you work with adults you work with with how kids nowadays specialize in, in just one sport whether it be basketball yeah. or soccer or whatever it may be do you think it was possible maybe when you were growing up compared to these kids to just focus on basketball or was it just part of life that you had to do as many sports as you could well there's a lot of people who did that and you know they it went well for them Even myself i just love baseball so much that you know i just I, I just really put a lot of time into it i have a son that i um train obviously with all of my other clients but he doesn't play any other sport a lot of them don't they just like to play yeah. one sport whether it's basketball you know you know other guys i know that's really good in football they, they just play football so yeah. it's like they, they don't i actually had a kid who left basketball he's really good in baseball and he just stopped he stopped playing basketball and like was that eighth grade and just stopped coming to work out. He told me why, because, you know, his dad was like, you know, he's much better in baseball. And uh, even though he has something in basketball, he wants to pursue that. Sure. So he just stopped. So a lot of people uh, tend to do that now. You talked you, you talked about in this, this Instagram live, you did raw sports films a few years ago about going to M MCI and your coach there and what that experience was like. But besides that whole experience at MCI, did you ever, leading up to that or leading into college or maybe in professionals, you know, sort of kick yourself in the butt to ever think of what possibly could have happened with baseball growing up? Or were you just, you know, okay with what happened with baseball? Uh, so I'm a, it's six o'clock now. I'm literally a person that like every game, I'm somewhere I'm watching the Phillies. Right. I'm literally watching the Phillies. I like baseball in general. Obviously the Phillies are my team. I'm from Philadelphia, but I'm a guy, like, I'm, I'm doing workouts. I'm checking the Philly score. <laughs> um, at a movie, I'm, I'm looking at my phone to see the Philly score peeking so that the light doesn't mess up the movie theater. Like, I love baseball. But, you know, I just was like, 
I don't really have those regrets. You know, I would have yeah. liked to see what could have happened with that. But so I feel like I was I love baseball more, but I was better in basketball. So sure. even though I was good in baseball, I played in high school and things like that, I always felt like I would make it in basketball. So that's probably why I don't really have the regrets like that. In that in that same in, uh, Instagram live, you you did you, you talked about a moment where you, Rashid Wallace's mother sort of helped you get focused on the right path and focus on basketball and putting in the effort and getting better at the at the sport. For you, Grant, why do you think there was so much disconnect for you in terms of? the academic part of, of school and going to practices and workouts instead of just playing basketball? So I'll answer the question. I'll, um, you know, it's, it just was, it was a big deal and people put more, I, I wouldn't say more emphasis, but, you know, it definitely was, you know, pushed on you a lot. When now it's pushed on you, but I feel like it's pushed on you about, you know, SATs and things like that. But, then it was really, you know, because he didn't play. It was, it was, it's rare now that people are ineligible sure. to play because it just is for whatever reason compared to back then. They never really, uh, they never really, uh, that never, that rarely happens now where, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, didn't take care of their academics, joking around, whatever their reason was. And they, uh, it, it didn't go well, and they end up being academically ineligible. Sure. So, you know, I, I know it's pressed upon us now to make sure that, um, you know, guys are guys are doing what they're supposed to to be eligible. And it was definitely pushed on. I also want to say I'd like to dedicate this uh, interview. It's amazing, coincidental that you bring that up. But, you know, Miss Jackie, who was like a second mom to a lot of us back in the day, she actually just died two days ago. Oh, sorry about so, that. So, Rashid's mom. So, you know, that was like a big, big deal to all of us. And uh, it's crazy that you called me now and you brought that up about that incident when she talked to me about, you know, getting my act together. You know, she was that type of person. She was in, she was great. And, uh, you know, just want to dedicate the this whole interview and everything sure, to uh, yeah. Miss Jackie. Nowadays, and there's instance, not just maybe in my the state of Iran where I live or maybe even in um, Philly, where you live, or across the country, there is where nowadays you have to be careful of, of, of as a coach of what you do or what you say or how you act because they could get you, you know, you could lose your job. And whereas it was not the case many years ago, maybe when you grew up or when my parents grew up, you talked about MCI, your coach, Mr. Good, there, MCI, and how much of a different shock that was for you and his ability as a coach and what his attitude and demeanor was like growing up playing in Philly basketball high school and your experiences there and what you dealt with what was that shock like for you in terms of dealing with it uh you know I was good so you know coaches I, I, they didn't necessarily uh they got on me you know Philadelphia is a tough place so they got on me very competitive but I just think it was at another level when I went to MCI because it was really in your face like love yeah. <laughs> All the time, all the time, all the time. The words that he said wasn't really nothing different, but it was just the way he said it. And, you know, it was just different. It just really was. So, you know, that was, uh, that was, that was, that was shocking. But, you know, it helped me throughout sure. my life, even now as a trainer, coach. Like, you know, I take some of those things from there. So probably the, I wouldn't say get me in trouble, but I have to catch myself because I know it's different times. Sure. But, 
I have that in me, and I coach that way. I train that way. Maybe to not that extent, but yeah, I'm not the 2022. Just hey, you know, a lot of times it's like you holler at a kid, a parent is going to say something, get sure. upset. If you get on the kid, oh, they're going to transfer or leave your AU uh, situation. Like all of those things, you have to worry about, which you didn't have to worry about as much back then. But for me, I'm kind of just you know, I, you know, I, I've adjusted to that, but I'm also me. So sure. it's like if you don't want to be part of this. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm trying to, I, I got your best interest. Sure. And if, you know, maybe I get on you a little hard and that's something that you're not really, you know, you don't really like that, you know, you probably have to go somewhere else where it's a little lighter, a little softer side. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and, and I, I know where exactly where you're coming from. You know, both my, my, my father is a high school tennis coach here in Riley. He's been at the high school in, in my town the last nearly 30 years. And my grandfather's a retired coach. And my grandfather's from the generation where a little tough love, uh, goes a long way and my dad you know, he's different he's his own self like you said about you but there's stuff that he probably has taken from him that he expects in practice and tough going tough tough love but it, it's what needs to be done in order to win because you know how to be successful and as much coaches like that know how to be successful during your time at mci and you probably had met him maybe playing in philly seeing as he's also from that area you meet a you befriend a fellow philadelphia named katino mobley what was it about him, not just as a player, but also as a person that you connected with so much at a quick pace? Well, I knew Cat um, before then, but he, um, you know, he's different than me. We're, we're different souls. I'm a little bit more aggressive. He's a little bit more compassionate, which just was different. He played in the Catholic League. You know what I mean? I played in the public league. So everything about us is kind of different. But, you know, he's, he was really a, you know, we helped each other when we were there in all senses. You know, he helped me deal with not being, you know, I was really in the urban community. Sure. And he went to Catholic schools so and was kind of already used to that, dealing with different races and just all those type of things. So, you know, it was easy. You know, I helped him with his ball handling, passing and things like that. It really wasn't good when he, when he when we got up there. He helped me with shooting on certain techniques help my shooting go to another level. So, you know, we really just, you know, bonded up there even more, even though we knew each other, but we bonded up there even more because, you know, we were there every day. We, we, uh, we, um, we were roommates, you know, we were on the team. Then, you know, that's what made us end up being, you know, really great friends. Obviously went to college together, you know, uh, we end up being on the uh, Houston Rockets together, yeah. you know, so we've been knowing each other for a long time. Things, you know, has made us always, in each other's uh in each other uh 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 roots the roots sure. that we went me and him always found a way to be on the same route so it was important for both of you to play together post um uh prep school basketball oh uh, you know we you know obviously we played together well so you know I'm, I'm i'm finding him he's scoring like we play together really well like always in school and normal you could just put us out there five on five in a rec center like we play well together. And then, you know, back in those days, I would say, you know, we're all best friends. Me, Katino Mobley, Alvin Williams, uh, uh, Rashid Wallace, all of us, you know, hang out together. Jason Lawson, like, we, we were like a group. So, you know, but they're not, you know, some of them all almost went to Villanova together. Alvin and Jason went to Villanova, but Rashid almost went there. So, with those guys. So, you know, when you got your friends that you can 
play ball with, hang out with socially, you know, go to school. You can be able to do that. You know, why not? So that's what we chose to do. Prior to going to UNC Charlotte, I should say, how close were you to picking another school over um, you? Because I know you mentioned you didn't want to go to Temple because it was too close to home. Right. You know, Cincinnati was like the dream school for me. Bob Huggins, great coach. All those great players that they had, Danny Fortson's and Ruben Patterson's. They had always great team, top five team all the time. They looked great, too. You know, they lifted weights. Like, they looked, all those guys was jacked up. With Everybody loved Cincinnati. But, you know, when it came down to it, my two choices, the first time I went with uh, with Rhode Island, with Catino, you know, he had big schools as well, bigger than Rhode Island, just like I did, but we chose to go there together. So then the second time, I was really close, but then I just felt like that, you know, I could probably have more of an impact. You know, they were like number one, top five team in the country. So I was like, you know what, maybe I should go somewhere where, Pretty good team, but you know if they end up being real good. I would have a probably major impact on that sure. happening, and I, you know, trusted myself that I could do that. So Prior that's why I chose UNC Charlotte. Sure, and you, you had great success there as well as the rest right. of the team. Prior to going to UNC Charlotte, the, the short, the, the brief period you had at URI, and I had um, uh, Al Skinner's former assistant coach Tim O'Shea on. He was very recently, and he was very complimentary of, of your skill and your ability as. As a player, going to URI, what was your conversation like with the coaching staff, your, your first year, maybe into any other experience that you had with them uh, of what you need, what you were going to provide to the school, but also what they expected from you? Well, URI probably would have been a great situation, but two things. One, the first day of practice, you know, they were speaking, they had a pretty good team. Even though Katina was going to have to sit out, prop 48 guy, we were going to be pretty good, I thought. But then I tore my Achilles the first yeah. day of practice, like literally the first day of practice, like the first. The, so we had two practices. So you have the midnight madness, and then you have a, at, not, at night, and then you have another practice. I tore my Achilles the first day. Yeah. So, you know, that started out, I'm all the way up Rhode Island. I'm not playing. Cats not playing. They didn't necessarily have a great year. So, it's cold up there, just like <laughs> Philadelphia, but even more. Yeah. I, it just wasn't like a great time. So then I worked my way back. I thought I was doing really well the, that summer, the next year. I'm like, you know, we had talked about uh, we brought Tyson Wheeler in, who's a good point guard. So, you know, we like all three of us will play together. So it started out not so great for – it probably lasted three games where we started, all three of us, me, him, and Kat, and we went like one and two. And they came to me and said, you should come off the bench. We want you to come off the bench to bring us firepower. And back then, you know, you're a good player. You know, I was a really good player in high school. I was a really good player in prep school. I've been on high-level teams. You know, my high school team, obviously, number three in the country. Then we go to prep school, we number one in the country. <laughs> so I'm like, like, why am I going to the bench? Like, sure. he was like, because you more of a scorer. But I just couldn't handle that. Like, Tim, Coach O'Shea was there. Those guys, like, I just couldn't handle that because I, it was an ego thing. And I'm not saying I was wrong for that because I did feel like I was, sure. you know, probably the better player than over Tyson Wheeler. Like, why are you putting me? I'm a better player than him in my eyes. Sure. I, you know, I love Tyson. It's great. I just talked to him the other day because he came to uh, recruit somebody in Philadelphia like two days ago, three days ago. But I felt like I was the better player. So I was like, and I was there first. I'm like, why? 
why am I moving to the bench? Like, move him to the bench. So I just mm. couldn't take that. And it never went well the rest of the year. Like, I really would, like, do, you know, immature things. Sure. Have great practices. So I would be on the second team. The other team was the first team. So I would score. Let's say the game go to seven. I would score all seven buckets. <laughs> and every time I would score, I would say, and I'm on the second team, like just loud so everybody can hear. Thinking like I'm making the coach land by like everybody here knows I'm the better player, but you got me on the bench. Now, Al Skinner, you know, you have to ask him his reasons, but maybe it was just because he felt like Tyson was better or he thought it was better for the team. I, I don't know, but that didn't go sit well with him. So, you know, I just start playing less and less. Like I was playing a lot off the bench. You know, I was coming in fire fireworks but i i i couldn't handle that like wait why am i and i was like i came back from my achilles injury yeah. got myself healthy i feel great and you sent me to the bench after all this hard work so i really couldn't so i really rebelled like i really used to, <laughs> i really used to be in there acting crazy like just like immature to be honest so you know i learned from that situation that you know you just got to handle things. I don't feel like I was wrong to this day. Me and Tyson always laugh about it, just to be honest. But the way I handled it, you know, probably wasn't the best. Sure. Well, well, as long as you understand that. But also, it's more power to you to believe that you're the better player and that, you know, although you, you did what you could to help the team in that brief moment, that you, you have that confidence to believe that you're the better of the two. Being that North Carolina is a bigger state than Ron by a, a great deal – what was it an easy transition for you to go from URI to then uh, UNC Charlotte? Uh yeah, because I'm from Philadelphia, and you know it's such a great basketball yeah. town, great big city. So Charlotte, to be honest, especially back then, is built up bigger now. But it was really looked at. It was a small town to me too, even though it was a city, UNC Charlotte. But it was kind of small compared to where I was coming from. You mm. know what I mean? Like URI was a blip on the screen, but <laughs> I'm used to. Big city, Philadelphia, New York, DC. Like I'm used to those big places. So I, you know, it was it was cool. I, I enjoyed it. You know, people really nice down there. And UNC Charlotte really wasn't, you know, looked at as big in basketball. You know, you got Duke, you got North Carolina, you got NC State, you got everybody down there. So UNC Charlotte was, you know, even though the city was a nice side, wasn't really looked at basketball like that. So I was happy that, you know, those two years I was there. We did amazing things and, you know, even felt like we could have did more and put the school on the map. Sure. You know what I mean? So. During your that, that first year you were able to play at UNC Charlotte, you not only did the team have the great success with Melvin Watkins, but you also find yourself scoring uh, the second on the scoring list for the team. What was it like to have so much freedom on the court as a player there? Uh, you know, we had a team of guys that, uh, you know, chips on their shoulders versus Shaw, Kelvin Pratt. Like we really had guys that were, you know, that they were really ready to, ready to go from, from the beginning. They had those guys, uh, before I came, you know, they had obviously DeMarco Johnson, great player. Um, you know, DeMarco was there two years before I was there. He was a junior. And then, uh. Chandler Downs, like they had, they had guy Andre Davis. They had a lot of guys who had chips on their shoulder. So when we came, Alex Cool. So when I came, supposed to be uh, me and no, me and Versal Shaw came. And we were the newcomers. 
So, you know, we just added. We just added sure. to what they already had. And, you know, it was a great mix. And then, obviously, Coach Watkins, that was his first year. So it was, it was, it was good times. Well, what was that like? I mean, I'll get to the, the next season as well uh, later down in the road. But well, to have a coach like Watkins only be there for two years, the two years that you were there, and have that success, what was that also like combined with your success you had? Uh, it was good. You know, Coach Watt was an assistant for a long time. That was his first ever job. So, you know, he had a chip on his shoulder. that felt like he should have been a coach a long time ago and a head coach. And, uh, you know, he put the ball in my hands and said, you know, I, can you get us there? Like, you know, because when you win, it makes everybody look good. I'm just coming there. It's making me look good. DeMarco's been there doing well. He's a Charlotte kid. You know, it makes him look well. Um, coach Watt, that's a long-time assistant. Now he's a first-time head coach. It makes him look – so everybody had chips on their shoulders, and I felt like, you know, we all banded together, and that's why, you know, it was really a good two years there. Sure. That year you, you played uh, Louisville three times, twice during the regular season, and then once in the conference tournament. What was it like to go from maybe lo losing to them during the regular season twice to then beating them in the conference tournament that first year you were there? Uh, you know, I, I would say, you know, they were a really good team. Nate Johnson, Alvin Sims, DeWine Wheat, like they had a lot of good players. So, you know, they were a tough matchup for us. They were, you know, uh, they were um, very athletic, obviously. You know, they always trying to get, always trying to get out to get dunks and alley-oops and, you know, all those type of things. So, you know, to beat them, you know, we felt like we could beat them. It was good games in our regular season. But, you know, they just beat us. Sure. Conference USA was incredible back then. So, you know, we, we, we just felt like that we could beat them. And then we got in the conference tournament. We finally actually got it done instead of saying it and thinking that we actually got it done so sure before that before the conference tournament you guys end the season on a seven and one record what was the confidence level like in terms of the damage you could guys you guys could do in the conference tournament but also the ncaa tournament but also making sure it's not consuming you and you know you're falling short i mean you know you just got to go hard you know back then you know it's different now conference usa is more of a football school to be honest of a conference, but then, I mean, Louisville, Memphis, with uh, uh, it, it was just incredible. All the Louisville, Memphis, Larry Hughes was one year at St. Louis. Like it was just like anyway, the Paul, Paul McPherson, like it, it, it really was. It, Cincinnati, obviously, like I spoke earlier about all the great teams they had. Marquette, like everybody that you know, so many uh, uh, tournament teams. And you know teams that could have been in the tournament. So it, it was it was a it was great times back then. Great competition. So many NBA players went from those schools and made it. So you know it was, it was a big deal back then. Conference USA. If you did well, it was a uh, it was a big accomplishment. That's that that year you 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 make the NCAA tournament. You you lose to Utah in the second round. Were you ready for that attention in terms of that grand stage of being the big dance? So the first game we played. Illinois, Chicago. DeMarco had 30. <laughs> I had 21 and 11. Wow. So we like, we could beat anybody. <laughs> and it, it was one of the good experiences for me. I didn't really play great. I didn't shoot great. They put, um, he's, a, he's actually a, a coach now uh, for Utah. He does things for Utah. His name is Alex Jensen. He's like 6'6". And they put him on me, 
to try to control me. They felt like I was the engine. And I didn't really play great. And, it, you know, he was a bigger guy. Was bigger, obviously. So that helped me throughout my career learn to play against um, bigger guys. I start – the coach will have – you know, the next year, I know we'll talk about that. But so having bigger guys guard me in practice. So, you know, that really helped me. But that was really the first experience of having somebody that tall guard me the entire game. Bigger, stronger. I was just trying to figure it out. So I was off a little bit too. It was just me, but he definitely had something to do with their whole team. I was there, Keith Van Horn, there, Andre Miller. They didn't put Andre Miller on me. They didn't put the point guard. They put like I guess he played like the three, two or three, but he was tall, six five, All six right. six. So you know that was a good experience for me. Not at the moment, <laughs> but it ended up being a good experience for me overall. Sure, a humbling experience, I'm sure. The following yes. year, you have similar success in terms of the end of the year result and your statistics like playing louisville a lot the previous season you find the team finds itself playing cincinnati and marquette a lot during the regular season as well as i believe in the conference tournament what was it like to play against those uh, ranked teams such as cincinnati and marquette at, at that point in uh, college basketball well you know that year we were ranked top 15 oh, wow. preseason so I didn't play the first couple games, and uh, we lost. So, you know, we dropped out of the rankings fast. So we had ground to make up. I didn't play the first, I believe it was two games, two games, two, and we lost. So um, we had a lot of time to make up, and we did. We ended up having a really good season, and, you know, we beat the Cincinnati's and them in the regular season. And, you know, it, it, like I said, it was every night it was, it was always something. Like that year, that senior year, like I said, had Larry Hughes and all those guys. So it was it was incredible those years. Um, when we, it, it was just packed from top to bottom. So, sure. you know, we didn't feel like we were – we felt like, especially that year, felt like yeah, we had a really good team. We had defenders. We had, you know, tough guys. Kelvin Price, you know, Galen Young. Like, we had great – we really had a good team. And, um, you know, we – and it showed because that's why we did so well. We lost a – it was Marquette upset Cincinnati. So I think we relaxed when we played Marquette in the championship. year before we lost to Cincinnati in the championship, maybe they may have been a little bit better than us. But then the next year, my senior year, we lost to Marquette. I felt like you know that was a team we had beat in the regular season, and we lost to them in the uh, conference championship. Because I think we felt like, oh, man, we don't have to play Cincinnati. So, <laughs> you know, let's, let's, we probably let up a little bit, at least even in our mind. And they played a good game, and they beat us. You know, they beat us in a close game. But we that was something I definitely regret, that I didn't get a conference championship as far as, like, um, a conference tournament championship. That that year, you know, you make the NCAA tournament again, making it the second round before falling to number one ranked uh, UNC in overtime, 83 to 93. How What was the mindset like against playing probably the best team in the country in, in that second round? Was there any fear at all, or were you ready to – Possibly beat them. Uh, no, you know, to be honest, we felt like we, and I mean, the game showed it, felt like we matched up with them well. You know, sometimes, you know, obviously sports is about matchups, but then they had Ed Coda, you know, a really good point guard, but then we had me. They had a power four, Antoine Jameson, <laughs> but we had DeMarco. Now, you know, I'll say these names, but like, you know, they had Vince Carter, but you yeah. know, we had Galen Young. Galen Young, one of the best, uh, rest in peace, Galen Young, who just uh, was in the, car accident last year you know one of my best guys crazy but anyway you know Galen Young played against Vince Carter you know he's one of the best defenders in the country so 
He played against Vince. So we, you know, they had Brendan Haywood. We had uh, Kelvin Price. Like, we felt like even though they those guys were NBA guys, that we had some NBA guys on our team, and we had guys who maybe not NBA guys, but they was tough and they played so hard that they wasn't going to be afraid. It wasn't going to be a mismatch. We wasn't going to have to play like the perfect game or anything like that. So sure. we felt good. You had success there, deservedly so. You're an NBA-level talent. I know you had mentioned that you were supposed to get drafted 40, 41st or 44th in the NBA draft that year, and then you go and draft it. Well, before that, though, before the draft, what was your mindset or you know viewpoint in terms of your future as a professional player? Man, I felt like I would get drafted and I would be in the NBA. And, you know, obviously I didn't think I was going first round, but I was like, I would, I would really work. Went to Chicago. My team went 5-0. and Thought I played well there. So, you know, I felt like, you know, I would go second round and then I would have to grind. And it ended up being an NBA lockout year anyway. So, you know, it would have been it would have been tough on everybody, especially if the second rounders. But, you know, I felt good about it. You pl- you, And I don't know how much you had time in terms of reconnecting with him there, but you had mentioned earlier early on you, you reconnected with Gatino um, down in Houston for the Rockets. How much time did you spend with him in Houston? Because I know your, your time might have been brief there. So I was there on the Rockets for a year. Um, but I had, you know, Catino got drafted, and he went there first. So I was in the CBA, you know, grinding and hustling and trying to make it and get get up. But I had always went down there. It's crazy with him, you know, because he's my guy. Going to see him play, seeing him play against the Lakers, Kobe, Shaq, all those type of things. But just go to games whenever I could, uh, especially after CBA season. Went to some uh, – you know, he, he played the playoffs his first year. Yeah. You know, yeah, Scottie Pippen, and he played with Lajuan that year. But then even the next year, um, he was playing with, you know, Steve Francis and all those guys. So, you know, I have been down there a little bit and just around, you know, when you come home, you're not in the NBA, so you're going to games and things like that. So, you know, we, we never lost contact. We talked every day probably. You know what I mean? You know, we were, wasn't just teammates, really, really good good friends, probably yeah. best of friends back in those days. So, you know, it was uh, it was good to see him do well. And then, obviously, when I got in, you know, and I was there for a year, you know, with him, that was that was great times. You know, I got to play. You know, Akeem Olajuwon was on that team. <laughs> you know, Steve Francis, Walt Williams, Maurice Taylor, like, Mucci Norris. Like, I got a lot of great memories from uh, playing with the Rockets. And, you know, Rudy T was my coach, yeah. Rudy Tom Jonathan. So, a lot of great memories from, from, that, from that situation and uh, – you know, it was great to share with Cat since we, you know, knew each other already from from back in Philly and high school and college and all that. So. How soon after your time in the the CBA, USBL, and NBA, what was overseas basketball your top priority? Uh, I went over, played in the Euroleague in Poland, did well, and I was just like, you know, now it's NBA overseas, I'm going to try to do it. I'm like, you know what, I want to guarantee. And I wasn't getting that, so I just, you know, went overseas where I knew it was guaranteed. And once I went over there, you know, in those times, even now it's tougher, but especially then, you know, you kind of got to decide. So I decided that was what it was. Probably wish I would have never went, period, just because 
I went because I wasn't playing as much sure. when I was in the NBA. So I was like, they wanted me back, the Rockets. And I was like, man, I really want to play more. It wasn't like a 100% guarantee I was going to play more. I'm playing behind Steve Francis. I'm playing behind um, uh, Moochie Norris. So it was tough. So I just decided that I just decided that I would go where I knew I was going to play. Sure. And, you know, I went overseas. And, you know, it, I, I kind of regret it because I would have had more years. Sure. I would have had more years in the NBA than I did. So, you know, I had my short time in Atlanta and then my one year with the Rockets. So I would have had more years, which probably would have helped me overall just in life. And just, you know, I would rather play in the NBA than I would play in sure. Europe. But, you know, I had great times and, you know, I've done well in Europe. You know, I can't, I can't really complain about that. <laughs> uh, you know, I had a fantastic career, so I, I really can't complain. How important to you over there was experiencing the different cultures and the different cities and what was going on there compared to the statistical aspect of playing overseas basketball? Uh, I mean, you know, I met great people. Uh, obviously, I played in Italy for four years. I played in France. Uh, you know, I, I was lucky. I actually got to play in great places, great cities. None of that where, you know, the internet's not working or the team doesn't <laughs> isn't paying you and things like that. I really didn't have those issues. And I played in great cities where, you know, I'm playing in, you know, south of France. I'm playing in the south of Italy. I'm playing in right next to Milan. Milan. <laughs> so I, I'm playing in excellent. I'm playing in uh, Russia and Moscow. I'm not playing like in, in the country and way up in the mountains. Like I really didn't have those situations. Sure. So I was lucky enough to, you know, be making really great money. And I was playing well, you know what I mean? Winning, I won MVP in Italy. I won MVP in uh, in France. So I, I played great. I got paid. I was in great cities, great experiences, you know, museums, restaurants, things that, you know, I wish I even would have did more of that, you know, now that I reflect. But, you know, I did enough of it, and I, I had great times over there. Met a lot, a lot of great people, a lot of great people. How much uh, – I'm not chuckled in the sense of laughing at it in, in a – making fun way, but chuckling when you, you shared a story on that, uh, the Instagram live of you were on a soda can there for a, as with your face on there and your, your mother or whoever it was, was sort of like, Oh my gosh, you're, you're on that can. How much of a humbling experience was uh, exposure like that for you as a, as a young player over there? Yeah, it was good. You know, I, um, you know, I was more like, how can I say, I, I was treated so I was treated a lot like a soccer player. You know, obviously soccer and football is the big sport over there. Basketball is as well, but soccer is always will be number one in Europe. You know, I was treated like that. You know what I mean? Like I said, they put me on a Pepsi can where, you know, you're buying sodas and, you know, you see me. You know what I mean? I still have some to this day, but and I, a lot of people that I gave them to friends and family have them. But it was humbling when, you know, one of my friends in another city, when we are in Italy, you know, you have a lot of guys playing. In, in in Europe will call me and be like, you know, I'm at this supermarket. Please don't tell me that this is you on a Pepsi can. This can't be. Like, we laughing and joking. I'm like, yeah. And it's just, you know, so that was great. You know what I mean? When people see that even now to this day, like, man, you were on Pepsi cans and they selling them in stores. And so it was, you know, that was a, that was a big deal back then. So, you know, I was happy to be able to experience that. You played. In, you mentioned you played in France. You, you were one of the top scores, if not the top score, one season there in in that league. What did that mean to you? Especially everything that it took to get to that point. 
Uh, it was tough. It was good and bad because I went over there, played a really good season. And then my second season, you know, I was more comfortable. And it was different, just everything. The referees, the teams, everything. Players as players, but just the whole thing. So my second year, I really wasn't on a great team. My first year. My second year was an okay team. But if they had, but they got somebody that could really do well, you know, could kind of be like a main player, could probably help them. And that's what happened. We ended up being a top three in the league. You know, it was going great. I led the league in scoring and assists and free throws. So it was great. And then I tore my other Achilles <laughs> towards the end of the season. So it was like, it was a good thing, but it was like that happened. And it was like, why? Like, how can this happen? Yeah. Like, how can, how can this happen again? So <laughs> tore my right Achilles then. and uh, But I had a good time. Like I said, I was in the south of France, right by Khan and Nice. So I really didn't have no complaints, just even with the lifestyle, the fun times. You know, the weather is great. You know, you, you, you go 30 minutes and the Khan Film Festival is there. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just unbelievable. So, like, I, I definitely enjoyed my time in France for my two years that I was there. You know, most people sort of stay in the dance circle longer than they should be, or it, it ends on a poor note. You were able to end on your own terms and sort of end on a high note, even though you probably could have maybe stayed a little bit longer. In yeah, for game. sure. What was what did that mean to you in terms of leaving at the top of your potential uh, as, as a player? Oh, so I had a little couple of things I needed to handle with my uh, daughter. Uh. So I wanted to come back home. She wanted me to come home, and I needed to come home. So I came home, and then, you know, I went back, but it just wasn't the same. So I was doing well, but I wasn't, like, a dominant player. I was sure. a good player. So, you know, all these years I'm averaging 25, 30 points. I'm averaging 10 assists. Like, I, you know, it was more like 17 and 7. Oh, now yeah. I can have those games where I'm getting 20s and all, but – I just wasn't down. And for me, I was just like, I don't know if it's me. I don't know if it's my head because I'm thinking about home. You know, I was thinking about, like, getting out of here. I wasn't really, you know, I see a lot of players that play 35, 36 years old. Like, I didn't do that. You know what I mean? So that was kind of interesting. But I decided that, you know, it was time to, you know, start my next life. And, you know, I ended up coming home. Similar to looking to the opportunity in the um, presentation of possibly playing overseas as a player after college and that in the NBA career, how soon after that professional career and you ending that you're retiring, did you decide to continue to have a relationship with basketball in terms of coaching and training? Sometimes, you know, your calling calls you. It's not sure. you going to it. I literally just got a call and somebody asked me, do I want to, uh, how much do I charge? And I was like, <laughs> I don't charge. I don't really do this. But then, like I said, my friend Alvin Williams was like, maybe you should look into this. And, like, you know, you're good at it. Maybe you should do that. So I was like, that. So the next time somebody called, I said, you know what? This would I charge. And that was the beginning of it. And it just developed from there. What does this new really this new part of basketball that you're in coaching and training provide you that playing did not wasn't able to? Oh, it keeps you in the game. You know, I love watching the game and things like that. But, you know, nothing is more competitive than playing. Even sure. when, you know, when I first got into it, you know, I was coaching high school, coaching AAU. I'm like, I'm going to out-coach that coach down there. <laughs> you know, that's the competitor in me. But even that, 
It's not nothing is the same as playing. Mm. So now, you know, I, I love training. I'm like, okay, you can kind of, you know, be alone or, or ride along with with someone else's journey. You know what I mean? You're a big help and just there, whatever it is, you know, playing, advice, you know, helping them socially, whatever it is, you're along for their journey. So, you know, that because you're not playing anymore. Last question I want to ask you for this little game I have is growing up in Philadelphia and you play with guys who didn't care how good you were and they would tell you that. What would you be doing now and where would you be? Uh, I guess I would be in probably New York somewhere. I don't know what I would be doing, but like, you know, I go to, I've been all these countries, all these great cities in, in the United States, all of them by playing in the NBA, playing in Europe. But like New York is a place that, and it's only 90 minutes from me, maybe mm -hmm. a little bit more. It's like when I get there, the, the energy just makes me be like, just something different. So I would be doing something in New York for sure. I don't know what, but like I love New York. You know, you know, a lot of the time New York people think you know, they're the greatest at everything. You know what I mean? Bad people from New York think they think New York is the greatest. But I'm gonna be honest, for me, I feel that way a lot of times. You know, I love Philadelphia, that's where I'm from. Love Los Angeles, Miami, a lot of cities I frequent. But like when I go to New York, I just love it. Like the people. You know, uh, the eat the the food. You know, uh, just just everything at any time. Summer, you know, even when it's cold, I just like to go there. So, you know, that's a place I love to frequent. Sure. Now, before we go here again, I'm grateful for your for your time. So, thank you. I want to end on this little game called the One Word Challenge. So, in this, what this entails is I'll throw out a few names of people, places, or things that have some connection to my guest. Being Sean Colson, he has to do his best to come up with a word or two or sentence that best comes to mind when he hears it. So, Sean, are you ready? Yes. Uh, first one: Philadelphia. Tough. Uh, UNC Charlotte. Experience. Uh, overseas basketball. Great. Hard work. A must. Uh, success. Blessed. And last but certainly never least in this cosmic universe of ours, Sean Colson. Good guy. <laughs> I, I I have to uh, share that sentiment, if not uh, twice fold. Well. Sean, again, I want to thank you for your time. This has been a true treat and have you uh, graciously provide stories and, and your sort of experiences through life and in basketball. Right. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Of course. Well, if you like this, because who the hell wouldn't like it? And next time when Sean gets this next big time player that he's training that makes it the NBA and helps him in life afterwards, you're just like, holy crap, I should subscribe back then. So subscribe, follow, comment, share, follow Instagram, Nolan Car at Night, and Twitter, Nolan Car at Night Show, or Nolan Car at Night Show on Instagram and Nolan Car at Night on Twitter. Uh, Sean, is there anything that you'd like to share or put out there for everyone to know about? Uh, no, nah, man, just, you know, uh, Want everybody to be safe and you know blessed, and uh, you know I'm doing great. Life is good. I'm family. I have uh, doing a lot of big things uh, with with the training and things like that. You know, want to be an NBA coach. Uh, you know, even if it's player development. You know, so you know, just just out here grinding every day and uh, just trying to get players better. And that's it. Love exactly. UNC Charlotte too. Definitely exactly. wanted to throw that out there. I know you're in North Carolina, so. 
Love North, love UNC Charlotte for sure. Of course. Well, in the words of the DNF talk shows, Johnny Carson, I bid you all heartfelt good night. Till next time, take care.